welcome to the What's the Chat podcast with myself, John Wood and Alison Craig. Number seven, thanks for your company. Indeed, and we've got a great show lined up for you this afternoon. We're going to be talking to Mark Donaldson, who has been in America as a sports commentator for 10 years now, working for ESPN, BT Sport and various other uh, big broadcasting organisations. He used to work here in Edinburgh, so we have got some good tales to be heard from that young man. And a lot of people ask how we do the podcast. In fact, Alison and I both ask, how do we do the podcast? (laughs) (laughs) But what we've decided the best way for us to work is, because we're not very organised, is we just press play and record. And we record absolutely everything. We don't know where it's going to start, where it's going to go and where it's going to finish. But we reckon if it makes us have a bit of a laugh, then hopefully it will have a similar effect on you. We do that. And then just before we release the podcast, we record the intro, this bit, just to, you know, sort of say hi and give you an idea of what is coming up because now we've already done that bit. Yeah. So, and don't, and don't so, forget, you can actually get in contact with us. We've got an email. It's uh, what's the chat podcast at gmail.com. So keep these coming in because they're quite good fun to read as well. You can get us on all of the normal podcasting platforms, Spotify and Amazon and Google and Apple and Deezer and Stitcher and all the other ones as well. So yes, you can uh, subscribe and review us and we will be forever in your debt. Frankly. And if you want to laugh, you can actually ask Alexa to play us and and she'll play as oh, well. Oh, yeah, that's quite yeah. nice. I, I got rather excited yeah, when that, that happened, exciting. actually. Yeah, it was. Yeah. We're easy, Thought please, clearly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got an email the other week there, and it was from an auction house. And I'd signed up to it for some reason. And they were selling old toys, right? Uh-huh. And one of them was, obviously, the James Bond car, which was oh, in its yes. box, you know, beautiful. And that was good about... Who are the swatty people that keep the boxes? Oh, I know. Well, they, I, as, as a kid, would you have kept the box? No, you wouldn't. Absolutely. No, in the no. bucket. But I'll tell you what, if you had the box and the car, it was worth about 200, 300, 400 But really? the one that I had, well, I had the James Bond one, which I'll tell you a story about because my pal around the corner, he had it and he had it as a wee boy. And you know the ejector seat, the wee man came out? Yeah, right? yes, I do he remember He swallowed that. the wee man. <laughs> So his mother and his auntie spent the next week going through his poo to find the wee man. They got it, but he was grey because all the the paint had come off it. And it's like, here's your wee man back. Put that Did they car. not take him? I thought you were going to say they rushed him to hospital. <laughs> no, they spent no, the next no. week trying to find the wee man. <laughs> what was she feeding him? What was she feeding him? Ready breakers. Stripped all the paint. <laughs> Gargle on this brat. I was in uh, Kay's bar with Dave. That's what he proposed yeah. to me, actually. But anyway, that, that wasn't that night. It was it was many years afterwards. I think we escaped for a night or, or for a drink, a quick drink, you know. Went in, sat down. Uh, he met his cousin actually, and his cousin was this, was this with this guy who we'd never met before. And we all started just chatting, having a few drinks, and uh, it got round to um, radio. And this guy had said that he had once been on the Simon Mayo show, and I said, oh, "What for?" And he said, oh, "It was you know like confessions." And I said, "Oh yeah, what was your confession?" He said, "Well, what happened was his uh, his very best friend was getting married, and his his best friend had gone out and decided to buy the ring." before um you know before he he proposed to to the girl kind of thing so he'd met his friend in the pub and he'd said I've, I've bought the ring I'm going to I'm going to pop the question and he said oh wow you know let's see the ring so he opened the box this beautiful ring and just for a joke he took it and put it in his mouth oh, no. and laughed and oh, swallowed no. it 
He swallowed it. He swallowed it. Oh, so he swallowed the whole ring and his friend went, you're joking. And he went, no, I'm not. I'm really sorry. So he had an Ikea sieve and every day... <laughs> And eventually, eventually, it came out, gave it a quick dust down, gave it back to the guy in the box and off to the girl and onto her finger and off they went. And it wasn't until the woman heard it in Simon Mayer that she realised her, her engagement ring had been through the best man's bowel. Well, like the, the one I liked, and it was, it was for sale, was the man from Uncle. I didn't even know they had a car. They had a car, and I'll tell you what, they had Ilya Kuryakin as the passenger, <laughs> and then on the right-hand side, Napoleon Solo, Robert Vaughan. Oh, yes. Yeah. And you clicked the top of the car, and they came out each side like that, out and in, out and in. So Napoleon Solo uh-huh. went out, and then you clicked again, Ilya Kuryakin came out, Napoleon Solo went in, and that was the... <laughs> now, that was going for 250 quid. Don't tell me you bought it. That was tempted. I must oh, admit, no, it funny, isn't it? I actually was in the festival a couple of times. Uh, and one of the times was a guy who wanted to do this political theatre thing. So anyway, we, we, we joined in. Now, it sounds a bit strange, but one of the scenes took place in a graveyard and I had to have a fight with a shovel and the other guy had a shovel <laughs> and there was a sarcophagus made of solid four by two wood in the middle. Uh-huh. So we didn't practice the fight at all. I fell back, hit my head, ended up in A&E and had eight stitches. <laughs> So, and no Fringe First Award for that one. I was going to say, did you do that every night? <laughs> oh, God, you poor thing. And the thing oh. is, I invited my pal along to see it, and he spent six hours in a and Mind you, it was a better show up there than ours. Oh, God. A friend of mine went to view a house in, um, in Edinburgh years ago. He knocked on the door of this house he was going to view. It was a Sunday morning or whatever, and there was nobody answering. So he thought, oh, they must have forgotten I was coming round. So just as he was about to leave, the door opened, and here was this woman covered in blood. So he was like, oh, my God. And she went, I've just fallen down. Stairs. And he went, okay, right, don't panic. Got an ambulance. He went with her in the ambulance, obviously. I mean, he didn't even know who she was. Got down to uh, the Western General. They took her off to sort of, you know, mop it up and, and sort her out. And then the police arrived. Oh. They thought it was a domestic violence oh, incident. No. <laughs> he was going, I don't even know her name. Just went around to view her house. <laughs> a friend of mine who worked in the, the Burns unit and uh, there was one time this woman came in, or a sort of portly woman, but very, very posh. And she had two massive burns on each cheek of her arse. Right? <laughs> a true story, there's a true story. They were trying to treat it and examine it. And she goes, oh, you're probably wondering how I got this. And of course, all the nurses and doctors are going, please tell us, please tell us. You know, Well, my husband and I were decided to have a quickie in the kitchen. And uh, he lifted me up in his, in, his, in his passion and laid me down on the agar. And the two cheeks were burnt. Good. Don't try this at home. My mum and dad met this woman on holiday, actually. She was a nice woman. She was from Glasgow. And she told them this very, well, I thought it was a very funny story. She had been driving back along uh, the motorway home with her her boot full of, you know, supermarket bags, messages and whatnot. And the car broke down. She was like, oh God. So she'd everything defrosting in the back. You know, she took her weekly shop and she didn't know what to do. So she was just sort of standing there looking confused. Uh, and this guy stopped in his car and went, hello. And she went, uh-huh. And he went, can I give you a hand? And she went, well, um, you know, I've just been in, she was a bit scared, 
but equally desperate. So she accepted his uh, offer of a lift and she got into the car. He put all her stuff into the back. So she kept her hand on the handle all the way back to her house. She didn't give him the exact address. She gave him like, you know, three doors along from where she lived, whatever. Anyway, he took her there and he stopped where he was supposed to. So she was still a nervous wreck. She thought, he's definitely going to kidnap me and murder me. And uh, so they stopped in the right place and she got all the bags out and then she put her head in. Now she was feeling all relaxed and feeling, you know, very grateful. She just put her head in the door before he went and went, thank you, you're my shite and nining armour. <laughs> Closed the door and off he went. <laughs> Holy Glasgow. I remember when oh, I, when I first it. went to drama college in Glasgow, I was staying by, uh, down actually by Byers Road and there was a pub there called The Curdlers. It's still there actually. So anyway, you've got a few characters and there was two guys at the bar one time we were in and they started to argue. And they argued, and that next minute a punch was thrown and the two of them were on the floor, you know, and the manager oh, split God. them up, you know, put them outside and they eventually came back in, had a word of the manager, apologising. One's got a black eye, one's got blood down the mouth. And they went up to the bar and they got another drink the, the manager decided to serve them. And one of the guys <laughs> turned around to the other guy who'd been involved in the fight and he says, now I'm going to give you a warning here. You shut your mouth when you're talking to me, right? <laughs> Blood and feathers, are why? Right, shall we? Yes, oh, I think why? we should. International, intergalactic, it's got to Broadway, hey! So spin the globe and let's find out where we're all going today, hey! International, intergalactic, it's got to Broadway, hey! So spin the globe and let's find out where we're all going today. Well, we're actually going to Mark Donaldson's house, X Radio 4th. Mark, where are you? I'm in my bedroom, Feather. It's in Connecticut in the United States. It's not quite 4th Street or the glamour of. But yeah, I've been over here ten year, over 10 years now, working at ESPN, doing commentary, football. Um, I can say football on this one. I don't need to say soccer. And also I do golf and I do tennis and I've got a baseball show, which is on BT Sport in the UK, which is back for season three um, coming up soon. The one thing I don't want in this podcast is you to say, oh, you've developed a twang. Because if I have, tell no, me. You haven't. Haven't. No, you haven't. <laughs> no, you haven't. You haven't at all. Don't haven't you worry. Done. You're not doing a Sheena Easton. Where's that accent from? It's halfway across the Atlantic. <laughs> you were Mr. Football. And now you're covering baseball, golf and all that. How did you find the transition? I mean, baseball's no easy, is it? No. So I used to like going to the old baseball stadiums. It was just a pastime. It was never any anything that I thought would ever come to anything. And I've got a face for radio. Um, and... I've ended up on TV, so I've got to try and amuse people. Because when you look like this, some, you've got to have a bit of humour. Some of the uh, the trips you must be able to take, though, doing your job must be extraordinary. As you say, the, the tennis, the golf. Do you have a favourite? One of my favourites, and, and this might surprise you, one of my favourites wasn't when I was over here. And I know we're kind of on to talk about Scots Abroad, but it was at 4th in, in, in 1998. But it was in Mallorca, and the game went ahead. I think Hearts drew 1-1. They lost the first leg 1-0. I was commentating for Radio 4th, and... And the night before, there was a whole lot of commotion and kerfuffle because hearts weren't happy that the pitch, the goal mouth, there was a camber, um, which meant there's different height between the middle of the goals and the side of the goal. So hearts weren't happy and complained. So by that stage, allegedly, Mallorca decided to um, entertain the UEFA delegate, shall we say. And then come the following evening, nothing had been done about it. The UEFA delegate seemed to be uh, rather worse for wear. Hearts had nothing done with it. Uh, and anyway, I got I got back. So that was a brief story about that. So I got back and um, 
I'd said to David Johnson, who was the news editor at the time, How, how'd you get on, donkey? And I said, I, it, was, it was all right. We had a bit of nonsense before. God, it took me an eternity to get into the stadium. He's like, what do you mean? I said, well, the front door was shut. We were that early because we had to test the lines. We had to go around the side of the stadium and we had to like climb a little, a little fence to, to get in. He goes, okay. So a couple of hours later, he phones and he says, um, you're going to get a call, donkey, from Alan Muir at the Sun. Just say yes to everything Alan asks you. There's £45 in it for you. Cheers, DJ. <laughs> so he phones and he said, uh, Mark, it's Alan Muir from The Sun. I, I believe you had trouble getting into um, in at the stadium last night. I said, yeah, that's true. I believe you got chased by guns-toting cops. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, that, that's true. I believe they all had dogs and the dogs chased you and you had to run and you had to climb over a high fence to get into the stadium. Yeah, that's true. I still have the cutting. It's downstairs on the wall. It's like radio rookie Mark Donaldson escaped baton-wielding cops <laughs> to heroically broadcast coverage for Radio 4th of Mallorca versus Hart. It's a load of shite. Absolutely. Excuse me. I, I, I hope I, I can swear. I had an altercation with a traffic warden once and DJ phoned me up and he went, I've got the sun outside. He said, they've got a traffic warden's uniform. Come upstairs and put it on. I, I just went, He's away just and shh. Highlights of the career, to go back to your original, probably being on this podcast with Radio Royalty. <laughs> you know, I would say. I, this is the original Radio Royalty. <laughs> this is a true story. And so this is when Scotty used to do drive time on, on Radio 4th. Uh, Friday night, he used to do the Speedway. He, one week he showed up like five minutes before the start and he missed a couple of things and he was getting pelters. So the next again week, he heard on the Thursday night the traffic report, which said there was an incident on Gamekeeper's Road. So Scotty's like, hmm. So he did the traffic and travel and he did the talk back to the traffic reporter and just say, look, any chance you could just say there's an incident on Gamekeeper's Road because I need to get to the Speedway. And if they think there's an incident, they'll all go the other way. I can zoom along Gamekeepers and get to the Speedway in West Lothian and time Armadale. So that's what he did. It's like, I didn't say what incident it was. There was a woman that bust a shopping bag. That's an incident. <laughs> Have you met some of your heroes? Yeah. My first hero is John Robertson of Hearts. And um, as far as heroes over here are concerned, Michael Jordan was a hero growing up. Michael Jordan was golfing at Gullen number one. He wouldn't give any interviews, but I was able to be introduced. And so he was the hero that I met. Other heroes of that ilk, Magic Johnson um, was with ESPN for two years. And he's there and just, hi, how are you? And that was bizarre. One of my favorite stories, though, one of the best wide receivers in the NFL history is a guy called Jerry Rice, who played for the 49ers. We had a rather chatty makeup girl. One day, she picked the wrong bag up. Because we all had our little bags that had our names on it. So she started off and then the look on her face, because I'm too busy yakking. I'm not even looking at what she's doing. She used Jerry Rice's makeup on me by mistake. Let's just say Jerry Rice and I were not we're not of the same colour. I've I've written Stevie Nichols' book. Grew up, Stevie was playing for Liverpool with Graham Souness and Kenny Dalgleish and Alan Hansen and Ian Rush. I didn't ever think that was going to be the case. And we ended up writing a book together, Gary Mackay of, of Hearts. The funniest one was when I first joined ESPN, we were getting introduced, I was getting introduced to everyone in the office. And it was just go around, shake their hand, hi, how you doing? I'm Mark Donaldson from Pennycoo. He goes, hi, I'm, he goes, uh, kind of smiled and went, hola, Mario. I was like, hi, nice to meet you, and moved on. This is Mario Kempes, the top scorer for Argentina at the 1978 World <laughs> Cup. And I've introduced myself as Mark from Pennycoo. Really? <laughs> I spent three years as on-course commentator feather with Tiger Woods, which was 
something special. We did the feature groups, so I was always with Tiger. Um, and, and that's the other thing. There are so many more people better qualified to do that than me. But it was a relationship and a rapport I'd built up with a boss. He knew I could trust me. He knew what I was capable of doing. And that's how I got the gig. So the rapport is so important. But I think so that, I is that not called imposter syndrome, though? Because I think everybody, no matter where they are in life, they think, well, actually, what am I doing here? Somebody else should be here. But, uh, you know, you've got to give yourself credit or allow us to give you credit. Yeah, credit but I've got the Scottish mentality of glass half half empty, which I'm trying to get over. I'm trying to do the glass half full. But this imposter syndrome that you speak about is an interesting one because... What we do, and for the other sports that I do, the golf and the tennis uh, and the baseball to an extent, the key phrase for me is know what you don't know. You're well prepped. You have to know a lot about it, but you don't want to appear like you're this Wikipedia, this human Wikipedia or dictionary or whatever. Um, you have an interest in it. That's why you're doing it. So for the golf and for the tennis especially, if I'm doing feature holes or feature groups... If I'm doing feature holes, it's a different group that keeps coming by. I can be knowledgeable because I've seen all the putts being made on that hole all day. So regardless if it's Tiger Woods or someone that no one's heard of, I know what that putt's going to do because I've seen 20 of them before that day. So it makes me seem a little bit better than I actually am. Chatting to my neighbour the other day, and she's a major Waterboys fan, you know, and uh, I was asked to do a documentary on um, on the Waterboys, specifically wow. Mike Scott, who was the lead singer and uh, the high hegen of the band. So it was in London and it was for Radio 2, so it was a big gig and I thought, okay, so I did a lot of research and I thought, I'm not going to let myself down in this particular occasion. So I went down to London the night before the... <laughs> this was the problem. Oh, here we go. <laughs> went to the, the party. <laughs> well, no, I booked into a hotel because our friend who, you know, was worked in the hotel business um, said, I'll sort you out of the room for, you know, like Tuppence hate me. And I went, fine, thanks very much. And he said, right, do you want to go out for something to eat tonight? And I went, yeah, but I'm going home early. I'm not going to get involved because I've got this big interview tomorrow with Mike Scott. I think he's quite shy. You know, I don't want to be left high and dry. OK, no problem. So I went to this fish restaurant across the road from the hotel, left there about 3am. And the next thing I remember is... Yeah, it's your breakfast being delivered into your room, madam. And then I had to go up to north of London and do this interview. So I would arrange to meet in a cafe before so that I could have a chat with them. And I was shaking, I was sweating, I was obviously <laughs> smelling of stale drink. Now, part of Mike Scott's story is that he, you know, did have a drink <laughs> issue. <laughs> and he'd moved up to Findhorn and cleaned up his act. And he was a pretty zen person by this stage. So, you know, he arrived. <laughs> Remember your past? <laughs> Exactly. Here's your health warning. Remind me never to go there again. And I was, I literally had a panic attack. You know, I was striding around outside the studio and I phoned my husband, I'm having a panic attack. And he was like, Alice, for God's sake, calm down, take a deep breath. So I was like, oh, deep breath, deep breath. So then I went, I went in and, uh, and there was Mike Scott and it was like, hello, nice to meet you. And he was like, hello. And he's not one of these people that feels he has to fill a silence, right. you know? Right. So he was sitting there, cool as you like, and I'm like, well, anyway, I was out last night and I met my friend. I wasn't going to be drinking much. I went to this fish restaurant and I could just see him going, Jesus, God, beam me up. I don't care if I don't sell the album. Take me away from this woman. Uh, so we spent a good hour and a half in a studio and then he started to play the guitar. Oh, was just play it, the guitar, and I thought, do you know what? Even if I have made a complete twit of myself, I don't care because he was, he, yeah, he was, he was very nice. But interesting, he lived up in Fintorn, you know, the Fintorn mm-hmm. Foundation up in mm-hmm. in Scotland, and um, he recorded an album. They recorded an album up there um, in this sort of auditorium they've got, but. 
he also met his wife there, right. and and I said, so how how did that go? You know, and he said, well, up there you can't like if you see somebody you quite like, you can't go up to them and go, hello, what are you doing tonight? And do you fancy a cup of coffee or what about a roll in the hay? You have to do it in a very formal way. So you ha- he had to write on a postcard and write it and put it up on a notice board All right. uh, that he you know liked this girl and he would be very interested in getting to know her better and if she wanted to you know respond then formal she, it was all done like that yeah anyway so they, they, when he left Fintorn he left with her and, and then it was I don't know if it was happy ever after but I thought it was quite nice oh. very sort of old fashioned you know because that's obviously how you met your wife exactly one of the best lines that ever came out the mouth of a person that we both know Bruce Finlay now Bruce Finlay used to have I found it at Bruce's in Rose Street oh, a record shop up in Edinburgh and yeah. I, I tell you what at that time you had to have the I found it at Bruce's red plastic bag because if you didn't it was a, like a badge of honour you know on a Saturday you go up well, we used to go to the farmhouse cafe because we were underage drinkers you know we cut to years after Bruce Finley obviously has managed Simple Minds China Crisis etc and he used to do the show remember after us with Mark on a, mm-hmm. on a Sunday and uh, he came in this time and I says oh have you had a good weekend Bruce he goes yeah actually I had a great weekend I says oh where were you he says I was in America Oh wow, that's okay. Jet lag says, Yeah, yeah, I just got back t- today, actually, not too bad. I says, What were you doing in America? He says, oh, Just a few promotional things, but I ended up at uh, Debbie Harry's party. Oh, I went, Really? Nice. I says, Don't tell me you were French kissing Debbie Harry in the USA. He goes, <laughs> I actually, I was. <laughs> Well, that's a hard world. A hard world, a hard life, I should say. There's not many times you can say that line, though. French people oh, maybe are in the USA. No, no. Well, you've just said it twice. But so under, that's your life. But his drink, him used to nip along to which was uh, the White Cockade. And we would go upstairs in the White Cockade, and uh, there used to be a, a band on, actually, and we'd have our pint of skull lager. Hide behind our melody maker in case the police came in because we were petrified where we were going to get picked up. And then across the road for uh, a pint at the Tankard in Rose Street as well. So if you remember any of the old pubs, uh, give us a wee uh, email on that because there's a, there's a few crackers in Rose Street. I remember one of the first ones was a crowd of us from school went to the Barnton Hotel. Oh, yeah. And we thought, we'll go. We'll stand at the back, it's pretty busy, we'll stand at the back and just, you, you try to look cool. And the more you try and look cool, the more idiotic you look, right? Well, you look, you stick out like a sore thumb exactly. and an underage thumb Ex- at that. Especially when you're dressed in your school shorts and your cap, you know, it doesn't, doesn't look good. <laughs> so right. Kenny Kemp was, uh, was one of our, our uh, classmates. Kenny actually went on to write the autobiography of um, uh, Virgin guy, uh, 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 Richard oh, Branson. Richard Branson. Yeah, yeah. Oh, did he? he I'll, tell you, I'll tell you a few stories about that later on. He's got some nice stories, actually. And uh, Kenny looked the eldest, so I thought, right, Kenny, you go up to the bar. There's the money, you know, and you're getting your change out. That's another giveaway, you know. They're <laughs> underage, you know. So Kenny gets the pot of money, and he goes up and goes, yes, sir, can I have you? Four, four beers, please. Four beers. And what was it like? Lager, export, sentencing, nation. Just... Just four beers. <laughs> and the manager went, are you underage? He went, yes, yes, we are. <laughs> right, okay, if you'd just like to leave now, please. Yes, we will. That was it. 
<laughs> it still goes on. My son was in, uh, oh, I don't know the name of the club, but it was the end of the end of the year, you know, and he was in, he must have been 16, I think. Uh, anyway, they'd all managed to, you know, all sorts of fake IDs and whatnot to get into this club. And it was Louis' turn next kind of thing. And he was standing at the front, you know, puffing his chest up, whatever. And he t- suddenly felt a tap in his shoulder and he turned around and it was the headmaster. Oh, no. Oh, no. Louis Scott, what are you doing here? <laughs> well, nothing, sir. You know, Would you like a pint? <laughs> what are you drinking, man out? <laughs> no, get back Kenny Kemp. I told you, you wrote the autobiography for... Yes, um, for is he still in Edinburgh? Yeah, Kenny is. We should get him on, actually. Should Kenny be, can still recite. He's got a great memory and he's a great writer. Uh, he's got his own publishing company, etc. But he can still remember the register from primary school. All the no names. Way. Arnold Balfour bought, and it goes boom, all the way down, all the way down. No he, way, yeah. really? Yeah, he's got a photographic memory. To hear that. It's well, a bit like Pew Pew, Barney McGrew, Cuthbert, Dibble and Grub, yeah. except they weren't at school with you. Yeah, but they, no, they were, they were in the class above us. And so he got flown across to Richard's Island and stayed oh. for about a few days on the island, played tennis with them. Uh, and he's got a lovely wine cellar, so he had a lovely... Um, it says he was just the nicest of guys. Get in touch with Kenny Kemp and see if we can get some good stories. I'd love to hear what it's like in Richard Branson's island. Now, earlier on, we were chatting to Mark Donaldson from ESPN. And, uh, well, when we had him in the studio, we asked him also how the pandemic has affected him and his working year. Last year was meant to be great because I was meant to be doing um, the USPGA, the Masters... Euro 2020, which my games were in Sociedad, uh, so, uh, sorry, Bilbao, uh, Bucharest and Budapest. I was then going to fly to England to do Wimbledon to meet up with, hopefully, and certainly John, I think you would plan to go down with Diane as well. Um, and that would have come about after I'd done the, the baseball at, uh, at the London Stadium. But you know what? I don't miss something I've never had. I would have loved to have done it, yeah. but... Everyone's missed something. I find it hard at times to live in the moment. I've struggled at times um, from a mental perspective. I mean, you're with the same people all the time. You like your own company, but you want to get out and about. And I found it hard, as has everybody. The, the older I've got, the more I've kind of thought more about what I do and appreciate it a little bit more. Because you never know. I'm on a fixed-term contract, so I negotiate with them every time. First of all, they say if they want me to stay or not, and then we negotiate if they do, how long and how much and everything like that. So um, I know that my contract expires. I've just signed a new two-year deal, but I don't know if that's going to be extended afterwards because a lot depends, because of what I do as a commentator, on the rights that we have. Right now, I'm the lead commentator for the Italian football. Those rights are up in May. We might not get them back. So where does that leave me? So... When I went to Wimbledon, what was that, 2019, I think was our last one. That was on the bucket list. So to walk through those gates, I appreciated that more because it was something I'd always wanted to do. The final day before I left, pretty much darkness and just took five minutes by myself with no one there, phone on silent, no lights, just this is this is something. This is special. But the reason I was able to appreciate that more, I think, because I didn't know if I was going to get back. But now... Because we can do all this on laptops and whatever, companies can save a shit ton of money by not sending people. Our Australian Open coverage this year was done from our HQ in Bristol in the middle of the night because we can't get into Australia. 
But it was done so successfully and that you wouldn't know the difference. We don't try and pretend that we're there when we're not, because people can see that on TV. In radio, it's different. I've broadcast for Talk Sport in my underwear um, in my front room at North Fetties. Um, it was like doing both a general election and also France, Scotland and Paris. Let's cross live to Paris now. Oh, it's freezing here. I've got the heating on. I'm sitting in my boxers and whatever on an ISDN line. But that's radio. You can get away with that. As it transpires, we didn't get to Wimbledon last year. We didn't do the Australian Open. A lot has been done from, from site now because Sky TV have started this kind of carbon footprint idea where over the next 10 years, they're going to try and cut back on all their reporters actually going to places and saving the planet. If you So you've got to feel how lucky you are because there's so many people that would want to do what I'm doing. I have to be honest, I think the careers that we've had, the best times are the ones that have passed with the stories. Now it's about survival. And by the magic of broadcasting, we're back in the Edinburgh. Where's the fairy? Where's the fairy? You're there, darling. Just look in the mirror. That's you. Uh, Anyway, thank you so much to Mark Donaldson for chatting there. Interesting stuff about, you know, how his year has been totally hijacked as well. And again, underlining the fact that none of us have have had a good 12 months. We've all struggled one way or the other. What's quite interesting is the the way TV stations are now approaching commentaries. They're watching their carbon footprint. So I don't think, you know, they won't be sending as many commentators abroad to do to do their job anymore. They can do it from, well, basically in, the, in their own studio at home. So that was yeah. quite interesting. But anyway, yeah, um, we've got some good guests coming up. We've we got Andrew do. Cotter who's coming. You, because you were a pal of Andrew Cotter's. What, you yeah, we worked together a few years ago. And of course, in the past year, he's had enormous success, uh, not just in his job, which he's extremely good at, but with... Uh, his two hilarious companions, Mabel and Olive, the, the Labradors. Yeah. So we'll be talking to him about that, about sports, uh, commentating about, well, just life. Uh, and next week, we're going to be talking about crushes. And yeah. Uh, yeah. So who was your first crush? So you can get in contact with us. Email us with uh, what's the chat podcast at gmail.com. Who was your Yay. first crush? Mine was a, a puppet from a Fireball XL5 called Venus, but I'm still going through therapy for now. I think, I, I just, I never imagined that I'd be sitting speaking to a man whose first crush was an actual puppet. One question, did she have strings? Yes, she did have strings. Okay, I'm afraid it's over, John. That's really has <laughs> the end is nigh. Of this podcast, certainly we'll be back same time next week. And thank you so much for joining us. Hope you've enjoyed it. You can get us on all the usual places. Have a great week. Cheers. Bye. Fireball XL5. Fireball XL5. Freak. <laughs> Thank you.